Have you uh, had a chance to look at the itinerary in the topic bucket? Uh, yeah, no, not at all. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> topic Lords. I'm Max Yamasaki. I'm Erica. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Max, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hi, I'm Max. I would plug sitting at various angles, like taking a chair and just angling yourself in different ways uh, and trying it out. You could do that with a toilet, too. (laughs) That's true. Yes. You could post the failures on toilets with threatening auras. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My sister and I have long discussed the trade-offs because in Japan, there's a lot of like in public, there'll be like a Western style toilet. And then there'll be like a traditional style toilet, Mm -hmm. which is like an oblong hole in the ground on one side. Right. You got a spec for like what you feel like that day is going to (laughs) be. It doesn't matter so much for like uh, number one, but for number two, you know, if you're feeling tired and you don't want to squat, the Western style is the way to go. But if you really want like an easy pooping experience, like squatting down, it just really comes out and there's like zero wiping required. You should uh, try a bunch of different angles. Yeah, yeah. Works. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, so the labor is all being done by the the thighs. Yeah. So I guess you have to decide whether your thighs or your mind and hands are more tired. Right. It's a mind body power struggle. Yeah. Where yeah. The the butthole is the mind, <laughs> and the poop is the body. Yeah. Strong start. Strong start. Mind over matter. Can't, can't wait to see how the rest of this episode goes. <laughs> yeah, really mature, really uh, not crude at all. We're very, very proper. Uh, and Erica, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? I'm Erica. I'm at YorickTRB on Twitter. Um, I am going to plug Lovage, not the band, but the spice. I have started replacing all of my spices with Lovage and nobody can tell what it is that I'm spicing my food with, and I like it. Not not just the flavor, but I like the fact that nobody knows what it is that they're eating, and it's hopefully not harmful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was reading about like the the invention of Kentucky Fried Chicken. The reason it was so successful is that white pepper had just become available, and, oh. no, and nobody knew how to use it, and. Colonel Sanders was the first person to use it successfully. And this whole, the whole time I'm thinking, like, you, you put it in the food. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how you use it, right? I guess so. I, I used to think white pepper was cool, but I've tasted it again and again, and I've decided that it's disgusting. So good for him for making it taste good, because uh, otherwise <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. The actual answer is you don't put it in the food. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about like Szechuan pepper? Oh, I love it. Oh God, what is Szechuan pepper? It's like xanthoxylum or something. It's not a pepper in the same group of pepper plants that we associate with black pepper or white pepper. Is that the the numbing one? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's weird. I really like it. We have to when we order food in Chinese restaurants that come with Szechuan peppercorns, we have to specify that we want them because they look at us. They gauge that we're white, and they think that we don't want, like, spice in our food. <laughs> oh, man. Right. <laughs> so we have, to, we have to order extra sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have to know you. Or you can just break into the kitchen and find where they keep the peppercorns. <laughs> Generally frowned upon. 
<laughs> That's how they know you're legit. Yeah. It's just a test. Are you willing to elevate this to crime? <laughs> They're testing your resolve when they say they won't let you into the kitchen and please stop trying. You just have to keep going. That's right. I would like to plug big boy beds. Oh, yeah? Winston has been very clearly capable of climbing out of his crib for a few weeks now, like to the point where he's like swinging his leg over and we're like, don't do that, buddy. That's dangerous. You fall out, you'll hurt yourself. Uh, and we decided to try, not because we thought he was ready to lie in bed to go to sleep, because he's a very active boy. If he has run of his room while trying to sleep, he's just going to run around and pull everything off the shelf, etc. But like, we got to do something because it would be bad for him to fall out of his crib and hurt himself. Mm -hmm. So we converted his crib to have a side he can just sit on and, and jump off and get up in the middle of the night to go pee if he has to. And we were explaining to him, you've got a big boy bed now. And he was very excited about his big boy bed. And he put every loose object in the room on the bed <laughs> and just wanted to sleep with all of them. Uh, we did the usual bedtime ritual and uh, left the room and... Like, of course, he's running around the, the room, not not in bed for like, I, we have this monitor hooked up where the camera's pointing at his bed. And not one time when we looked at the monitor, was he in the bed? And <laughs> then we found out that he is strong enough to turn the doorknob and open the door and leave the room. <laughs> so, wow. uh, you know, we were going to give it the night to see like, well, like probably eventually he's just going to collapse on the floor. And fall asleep. Maybe he'll fall asleep in a pile of stuffed animals. Wouldn't that be cute? Because he's been doing that. He's been like making little nests and lying in them. But performatively, you know, like he'll lie on them and he'll be like, oh, he'll, he's, he'll say, oh, and then he'll get up after five seconds. But we figured like eventually he would, you know, you've got to sleep at some point. No matter how active you are, you're going to fall asleep at some point. We figured we'd give it, give it the night. But the fact that he can leave the room and run around the house, that is untenable because we've Safety-proof his room as much as we can, but we can't safety-proof the whole house. It sounds like you're not really plugging big boy beds, then. What you're plugging is, you know, cribs with, like, infinitely tall sides. <laughs> I'm plugging prison and keeping my son in it. What we ended up doing was, like, we, uh, I, I just followed him around the house to make sure he didn't get into trouble while April uh, converted the bed back. <laughs> my husband's little brother, when he was a toddler... Um, I should say that he's kind of like a MacGyver type as a grown-up. He does like electrical engineering and um, he works for a company that makes electrical airplanes or something. Yeah. But as a kid, he was very, very handy. Even as a toddler, his parents had a really rough time with him because he figured out without tools or anything, how to disassemble his crib. <laughs> oh, that was, that was me too yeah. as a kid. That's amazing. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. I, um, yeah. Yeah. God, my mom will infinitely blame me for this, but she would give me her, she had this like silver bracelet that was like a larger like sand cast Native American bracelet. She had traded something to the artist and gotten like first pick of these amazing bracelets. And then she would just like give it to me to kind of tee that uh, when I was little. And then she left me alone in a room that only had a bed and nothing else. And then she came back 15 minutes later and the bracelet was gone. <laughs> and it was like, she looked all over and it was like, there was no feasible way that I had eaten the bracelet, but the bracelet was nowhere else. Did you ever solve this? Yes. When 
we got me a big boy bed, then <laughs> the bracelet was somehow underneath the very like solid base of my smaller bed. Oh my goodness. Huh. And I had somehow like gotten it underneath there. Wow. Good job. Hey. <laughs> yeah, let's give him hell. <laughs> That's one for the baby book. <laughs> Team baby. I had been thinking about bed side numbers because I was like, I, I have a theory that like the more adult you are, the less sides your bed has. Because <laughs> like you start with a crib, so it has four walls. And then like, I feel like most kids and teens and like college students have a bed against a wall. And then for whatever reason, I mean, I know the reason, but like <laughs> adults, particularly if you have a live-in partner, have a bed in the middle of the wall. So you only have one wall. Right. So you're saying like that the natural extension of this is that we all have like a jiggling circular bed in the center of the room that has like <laughs> leopard skin prints on it or something. Yeah, that's what I, I actually, I'm highly evolved. Yeah, I was I was trying to think, like, <laughs> how do you have fewer sides? You could have a triangle bed. You could have a Mobius and then And then you could, have, yeah, there you go. And then you could, everybody could sleep on a tightrope. <laughs> you could have a dish or like a, a sphere bed that was like, uh-huh. yeah. The whole planet is one bed. <laughs> the world is my bed. Yeah. It's like in Mario Galaxy. Yeah. Is there is there a bed world in Mario Galaxy? I mean, you can go to sleep on the ground. Uh, oh. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure if that counts. You know, you could go to sleep on the ground in real life, though. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if you've ever yeah. tried that. It, it works, though. Maybe you should suggest it to your son. I slept on a table in a school cafeteria once. Oh, wow. What for? I was just really tired. <laughs> This was when I went to to Montreal to a demo party in Montreal, mm-hmm. and I didn't have you know good sleep habits. To be clear, I didn't have sleep good had sleep habits to like my mid thirties, mm-hmm. but I especially didn't when I was sixteen. And I went there and I like stayed up as late as I could, and then I just fell asleep where I was, which was basically like on this hard surface. <laughs> I think I got trapped in one of those tables when I was little. Oh. That sounds terrible. Yeah, like we were moving them off to the side of the gym, and I was moving one from the inside because I thought that was fun. And then other kids put them around me, uh, and I was trapped within them. (laughs) But it was still fun. I was having a great time. Oh, good. Oh, good. Like, like I'm imagining somehow, like, you know when you climb inside the circular racks at the department store? Oh, yeah. The, the clothing racks? Yeah, exactly. I'm imagining like how would you how could you get trapped in there? I can't think of a way. Like maybe if it was like really heavy clothes. Maybe if it's a rack full of chastity belts and they yeah. get locked somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that was like my favorite thing to do as a kid was hide in those circular things. I I'm surprised to hear you say that because I thought like, me and my sister were the only ones to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember doing that, for sure. We would first go to, like, the men's section of the department store, where they had, like, shirts. Um, and the shirts would have, like, pins in them to, like, pin the collars to the cardboard things. So we would get, right. like, a little group of pins all lined up in our hands. And then we would go, like, run underneath the circular things. And then put the pins in our hands. You, like, kind of get it under the dead skin of the ball of your hand or like under the dead skin of your of your fingertips and then you just have like 
pins like stuck to your hands sideways and then you like run around and show them to the adults. Ah. <laughs> I hated that when kids did that in school where they, they wove it under the dead skin and I was like, yeah. ah, no. <laughs> there was one shop lady who was like particularly worried about us and like was trying to get us to stop and I'm like, that's not appropriate. This is what children do. <laughs> I like that you simultaneously thought you were the only people who did this and that this is what children do. Right, yeah. Right. We haven't started on some topics, so why start now? (laughs) (laughs) We have topics, though. I I mean, like, there's one here that, like, naturally follows on from this topic, if you want me to start that way. Yeah, let's do a segue. Okay, so I want to start with things I chewed as a youth. Okay. When I was little, there were, like, a couple of things that, like, defined my position within my family. I'm the youngest child. I have an older sister, and then it's just my two parents. But I became very frustrated as a little kid that everybody could play Operation except for me. Like, I did not have the coordination to play Operation. There's, like, a picture of a kind of a naked guy. It's a cartoon on the table, and he has a red nose. And the picture has cutouts that are, the edges are connected to a battery. And you take tweezers and you remove the thing that's underneath the cutout, which would be, like, a little plastic bone or... Uh, like a rubber band, but mostly like little plastic bones. And if the tweezer touches the side of the cutout, it closes the circuit and the nose goes, "Eh," and it turns red. There's a light. (laughs) But I couldn't play it because I was small and I didn't have the coordination. So I went and I opened the box and I chewed all of the bones and made them flat and unusable. (laughs) And I would do it again. And this has become like the, <laughs> the thing that I'm known for in my family is like chewing on the operation pieces. For whatever reason, like that stock is my defining characteristic, even though it's been like several decades since I did that. <laughs> um, but like, I just, I kind of like, I miss that kid logic. Like as an adult, like I don't have any problems being amazed at things or awed or inspired or wondrous. I, I have a lot of curiosity about things and that kind of sense of childlikeness like never really left me. But the kid logic like just has disappeared. And the other thing that like really stands out to me as as following on from that kid logic is when I was in like fourth grade, there were like I think like sixty or seventy people in my class. One of the kids in my class had, like, taken a fake plastic grape, like, either from, like, a store or from their family's, like, fake fruit bowl, and, like, just pulled the grape off of the, like, bunch of grapes and turned it into, like, a chewing thing, and it was endlessly chewy. And they, (laughs) they chewed it for, like, a week. And then everybody else wanted to chew it. So you had to, you had to like sign up for like when you were going to get it next. And like the popular kids could chew the grape for like a week, but like the unpopular kids could only have it for like two days. And then it like Owen was going to get it next. And then Tina was going to have it for like a week because she was popular. And then Jamie was going to have it because Jamie was Tina's best friend. And then it was going to go to Larry and he could only have it for a day. And then you'll get it. And, like, I was the last kid to get the grape, and I was supposed to pass it on, but both because I thought it was disgusting to pass it on to somebody else after it had been chewed by everybody, 
And because I wanted it so bad, I never passed it on. You're still chewing it to this day. <laughs> I'm still chewing it to this day. It's <laughs> <laughs> never left your mouth. <laughs> and they couldn't just get another grape from the fake grape bunch? Well, so we talked about this, like, as fourth graders, like, could there be a second grape? And I believe that somebody did try to start a second grape, but it was, like, one of the purple ones, and it was, like, less chewy and kind of tougher and it was just not as good a grape yeah there was like a copycat grape circulating but the weird (laughs) thing to me is that like there's like 60 people out there who like share this memory with me and like they're not people who i'm in contact with you know yeah like if this were something that i did with a bunch of adults like we would never leave each other's sight this would be a cult right (laughs) (laughs) but like to kids like that's normal and i don't think our fourth grade teachers ever found out. I think Mrs. Murphy knew about it. Like, I don't think she could, like, convince anybody to give it to her. I think she banned the grape from her classroom, but I I don't remember if that was, like, effective or not. Yeah. I've thought about, in my adult life, inventing, uh, like, reusable chewing gum. And I was thinking, like, isn't this just a sponge? (laughs) You You can dip it in whiskey. To get the, to renew the flavor uh-huh. and then put it back in your mouth. No, you you want one of the the green yellow grapes from like a nineteen eighties cluster of fake grapes. Now I do, and then you can fill it with something like peanut butter or like or grape flavor. Grape flavor. <laughs> yeah, I recommend like stim toys. A lot of them are marketed at children, but I think there's more and more adult oriented ones. But they're like intentionally for chewing things there's like fidgeting ones and then there's chewing ones yeah so when i think of a stim toy i think of like a fidget spinner yeah but then there's the class of like chewing stim toys uh and a lot of them are like necklaces that you can bring to your mouth a lot of them are like tough silicone and you can just kind of bite down on them or there's like softer ones i think if i saw somebody doing that as an adult like chewing on a piece of their clothing or chewing like their necklace or something i might be a little bit disturbed. But what if they then pulled another one out of their pocket and they said, you want one? I would have to be offered the one that they were chewing and then I would be like, oh, this is so nostalgic. (laughs) (laughs) You look disturbed and then they're like, don't worry, you can have it after me. And you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) You can have it on Thursday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a sign up sheet. We're adults, so there's a, like, a when's good meeting scheduler or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. The doodle pull. Until the end of her life, my grandma had uh, reunions with her kindergarten class. Oh, wow. And to the best of my knowledge, it was never, like, organized by parents or something. It's just that, like, she really got on with her kindergarten class. And then even though they went in very different directions, like, every year they would get together and have just their class reunion from kindergarten (laughs) incredible yeah i mean like i don't even know how to contact people like if they're not on facebook or something or they're not on twitter like they're basically dead to me right (laughs) and to start doing this in like the 30s seems wild yeah yeah i've seen like websites that are how to find your high school class of 1996 or whatever and it's just a list of people and with varying degrees of contact information Huh. But I've never seen one of those for, for a kindergarten. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I feel like the high school thing had has like charm for Americans at least because you have like high school sweethearts and you want to know what happened to them. Yeah. I definitely had more like kindergarten sweethearts than like high school sweethearts. <laughs> yeah. No, I was definitely going to marry Chris Moore in kindergarten and that didn't work out for me, but I'm I'm not upset about it. I think I think we're both better off. <laughs> I do want to know what happened to him and uh and we're still friends. So. Emmy Simons, I think we got married in kindergarten. Wow. And then she divorced me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she said it was not because she didn't want to marry me, but because she had more things to do. And I was like, that's fair. What you mean? <laughs> <laughs> there's the 10 year high school reunion and there's the 20 year high school reunion. I went to three different high schools. Oh, wow. Which means I've missed six of these. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never even gotten to the point where, like, I was invited to one, but also, like, I didn't remember that they were going to happen and think to seek them out until after they happened. So which one do you regret the most not showing up for? (laughs) I wouldn't go to any of them anyway. You know, the people that I probably would get along best with was Princeton High School. I I had freshman year in Princeton, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. and that was was a fun time. Mm. Did you have any sweethearts? I had no high school sweethearts. I had, uh, I did kind of have some in kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) Have you kept track of your kindergarten sweethearts? Sadly, no. Sadly, I have not. Okay. Well, they might want to know where you are these days. That's true. They they might be wondering about me every day. And now that I've changed my name, they'll never know. (laughs) I, I definitely chewed things as a kid, but I can't think of any revenge or vindictive chewing that I did. But the thing that comes to mind is that like when I was in grade school, I would – I think just as like a as, a as a method of stimming, although that wasn't a word back then, well, I would like rip off little pieces of paper and chew them. Oh, yeah. And then like when they were just like globs of wet white goop or, or not goop but mush, I would like attach them to things. Oh, yeah. You were like my high school nightmare. For some reason, like those <laughs> those goopy things of paper, like they particularly bothered me in high school because yeah. they were on like every desk and stuff and you can't get away from other high schoolers at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to report that we would, we might not have been friends in high school. <laughs> this is understandable. I don't think I would have liked me in high school either. Yeah. I, I feel pretty much the same way about myself. <laughs> it's nice to be a grown up. <laughs> It is. It's a, it's, it's a much better situation for all involved. Max, did you chew anything as a youth? I really liked, I don't know if this is chewing because it's already a food, but when I was really young, I loved eyes of fish. <laughs> so my family would like cook a fish whole and I would be so excited that I would like lunge across the table and just <laughs> with my mouth, like suck the eye out and eat it. So you're a cat. You're basically just a cat. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) That's really like a sign of witchcraft or something. Like you have to, you have to watch a child who does something like that. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Is the eye like, is that like the the cherry and the fruit cocktail where it's the best part? You know, I no longer like it. So I'm not sure I can recall (laughs) uh, what was so appealing. I think it was just that it was like an identifiable body part. And this very novel way where it was like, right, it's an eye. I can eat it. 
I can eat this eye. Did you eat both of the eyes or just the visible one? I think mainly just the visible one. Okay. There's a whole passage in, in A Day of in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, which is about like a prisoner in a Russian gulag, and they get fed this like very weak soup that has fish eyes. And I can't remember if he says like to preserve his like only thing that he can um, hold on to as a sense of self, he will not eat the fish eyes. Or, like, they're so happy to have any source of protein that they fight over the fish eyes. But I think it's the former. It's probably worth rereading. But this is, like, a, a thing that adults feel relative disgust about. But it's interesting that, like, a child would feel like this is, like, a very interesting thing that I want more of. I think it was, like, kind of like fishy crackers. How they advertise them <laughs> is, like, it's the snack that smiles back. I'm like, it's the, <laughs> it's the meal that looks at me. <laughs> I'll eat it. My grandmother, she was like a terrible, horrible woman. This is my father's mother. My parents used to leave us with her like for weekends at a time and they would like, you know, go on like a little kid vacation away from us. But my grandmother would like serve us like sandwiches or whatever. And I would say, oh, it's good. And she's like, oh yeah, you like it? And I'd say, yeah. And she's like, you sure you like it? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, it's tongue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the tongue, the snack that tastes back <laughs> The meat that tastes back, yeah Yeah, but there's some kind of fascination With like the the things that you're eating Perceiving you backwards, you know Yeah Right, yeah Yeah. How, how do you both feel about uh, If you're eating an ice cream That's like a hand ice cream a, a stick ice cream or a cone ice cream I feel like I'm overthinking how to classify this But Like an ice cream cone or... Yeah, like ice cream yeah. cone or fudgesicle. Do you lick or do you bite? I think I bite that kind of thing. I don't want my teeth to touch ice cream because that gives me an ice cream headache. <laughs> yeah. It's too cold. My teeth are sensitive. I'm guessing you don't chew ice either. No, no. Ice, chewing ice. It, in fact, it bothers me when people around me chew ice. Yeah, me too. Like, what, what do you call it when you bite with your lips? I would call that a manam. A, li- a lipe. <laughs> oh. Or a nom, okay, a nom. fine. Yeah, a nom. Yeah. That would work. I feel like that's what I do with ice cream. What if it's like a like an ice cream in the shape of like a human? Do you like bite off its head first? So it can't scream? <laughs> do you nom off its head first? <laughs> or do you bite its legs first so it can't run away? I think I would bite off its head first so then I'm not being cruel and like playing with it beforehand. Right. I always get like um, an Easter bunny in the mail. And I've, I've always like struggled with like when, you know, how do I deal with the head of the Easter bunny? Because it, it seems weird to just put the head of the Easter bunny in your mouth and bite it. And you have to, you have to get the ears off first and stuff. Anyway, living in Tucson has really solved this for me because when I get my Easter bunny, the head has melted completely off and it's just like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> just the body. Solved. I have a question about that. Yeah. I didn't grow up with Easter. But I would like buy chocolate Easter bunnies uh, on sale after Easter. Yeah. And I was always disappointed because they were hollow and not solid fucking chocolate. Yeah. It's to save your teeth, really. (laughs) That makes sense. Are they ever solid? Yeah, sometimes they can be solid, but they yeah. you basically have to hit them with a hammer to get them down to a size where you can get an edible piece of chocolate off, which is not that much fun. Mm. Like, it's not as much fun as you would think it would be. 
And then you have kind of like a chocolatey hammer. You can like take a bite out of the ears and that's pretty much all you get. Do they ever like fill them with like a ganache or something? You know, a thinner chocolate inside type, uh, type situation? Not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they're filled with blood, but you know, then you've gotten the wrong product. Oh my God. <laughs> no. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Max, your topic is in which I beg Jim to use a sharp knife, or at least let me teach his child to. Winston cannot have a sharp knife. <laughs> Maybe in a couple of years. I represent my father in this argument, which is... Oh, yes. <laughs> he's very much of the school that, like, the responsible thing is to, like, teach your kid cooking skills early and how to mm -hmm. responsibly use tools early. Yeah. When cleaning out my mom's house, I found a... Uh, a pocket knife that was new in the box that he had tried to give me at age four. And my mom was like, no, you're not giving them like a knife. And my dad was like, it's a small knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Four is much more plausible than two. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but you can never start building those knife skills too early. <laughs> Fits nicely right into the electrical socket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't advocate Jim having a sharp knife until he learns to hold a knife. Um, and the reason why I say this is because I've had sharp knives forever. But until I learned to hold a knife, I was ending up in the emergency room with knife injuries. And I actually had like an exchange with my friend Laura where we would drive each other to the emergency room after kitchen accidents and like grill each other on like the test questions for the classes that we were taking together because we spent more than several hours in the emergency room waiting to be seen for kitchen accidents. So I would say just like learn how to hold a knife first and then then upgrade to the sharp knife. Now, is this something you think I could learn from like a YouTube video? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You have to make the little cat's paw. Yeah. Like just Google like cat's paw and knife. Sounds adorable. Turn on the filter so you don't get the weird stuff with animals in it. <laughs> yeah, I won't teach your cat how to use a knife. <laughs> Too much power. Cat's already sharp enough. Yeah. Yeah. Cat's pointy on five of its six ends. It doesn't need to be sharper. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. I'll give it a knife in the tail wheel. That's good. <laughs> uh, so I just Googled cat's paw knife and I got at karatemart.com. Cat's paw assassin knife, which is a terrifying looking <laughs> blade. Yeah, that's it's clearly like designed to be intimidating rather than like an actual practical assassin knife, assassination knife. You know, it's like starting a video game on hard mode. You're going to like just learn from that. And then you, when you go back to your kitchen knife, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll use up all my hospital time in, uh, wielding this horrible assassin knife. Your hand will be fully scar tissue and you just will be fine. Yeah, or I can wear chain mail. Yeah. Like Ryan. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was like, that sounds like a great way... To meet people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my gist. Uh, immediately already countered by Erica's life experience. But, like, I don't know. I was always taught that, like, you get used to the way you should hold a knife by having a sharp knife. What I was taught growing up was like the way you hold a knife and the way you use a knife is that you don't try and rely on you being careful enough. You try and like only rely on making it physically impossible for you to be harmed in the situation. 
Right. Like, I think the thing that Erica's talking about, but you were saying holding the knife this way. I was thinking no, of the it's, thing. It's like, it's the other hand has to be in the shape of a cat's paw so that you don't injure your, the fingers that are holding the food that you're chopping. Yeah. You, I always thought of it as like a prize machine claw the thing you're holding (laughs) so then you're not lifting your knife up high enough to physically go over any part of your finger that's showing so then you can just like freely chop and you be careful but even if you mess up you're not gonna mess up in a way that's gonna hit you you're just gonna like miss the food or make too thick of a slice this medium like radio is like the least optimal medium for explaining like how to do this like photos would work videos would work even like a really excellent text description with like (laughs) steps but just kind of like telling somebody about like the cat's paw and the like claw machine claw (laughs) yeah this this is probably like generating images in in jim's head that will make it worse for him in the future (laughs) and now he's gonna buy that big ninja knife (laughs) (laughs) i just go to friends houses and their knives are dull and then do you try to sharpen them i'm mostly interested in like whether they're comfortable with it because if they're comfortable with it like i don't care and i uh, will grumble to myself if i have to use them because i can be like an internal snob but if it's working for them, then that's fine. Why then do you want Jim in particular to have a sharp knife? And also his two-year-old. Yeah, I need to arm this two-year-old uh, and Jim <laughs> with adequate knife. Because- well, I, I, I do think there's an imperative to like, you. you if, if someone's grown up, they're, not, they're probably not going to change their ways. Yeah. But you can improve children. Like, they're constantly bettering themselves and also- being bettered by other people. That's kind of what it is to be a child. Yeah, yeah. Really, two is the best time to learn to use a knife. (laughs) (laughs) That may be true in general. I'm not saying it is, but I can't rule it out. But Winston is not ready to learn knife skills. (laughs) I mean, he can open a door. He Like, from what you've said already, it sounds like he has inhuman strength. So (laughs) He's a very strong boy. And I think a knife is a great way to teach a child how to wield power well and responsibly. (laughs) (laughs) Advice to people with two-year-olds from people without (laughs) two-year-olds. Yeah, uh, just give them knives. It's easy. That's all parenting is. Just hand them knives. (laughs) I'll keep it in mind. (laughs) All right. Oh, but one thing is I will recommend, actually, a real suggestion of it is for me, learning the reason for a thing helps me remember to use it right or understand what would help me use it better. Mm -hmm. When I found out, I was just like for curiosity, boredom sake, like looking up why different knives are shaped the way they are and things and like, why are knife handles like this? The why of some of those bits help me use them better and not like wear them out as much or like not hurt myself as much. Yeah. Also, even if you don't keep it sharp, I do recommend like a pricier kitchen knife is nice. It just like feels knives and knives. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts your wrist less if it's like a more balanced weight on the knife. Because like cheaper knives yeah. don't tend to have metal down the handle. 
And so then you, it feels kind of top heavy. You're like torquing your wrist to try and keep the knife flat. But if it's like a a full knife that goes down through the handle, you're not actually supposed to like hold the knife on the handle. You hold it like a little above the handle and then wrap your hands like gently around it. And you keep it kind of balanced. Yeah. How how expensive are we talking? You can get a good knife for like 80 or $90. Or even like a $50 knife. I'd say. Yeah, I've I've got uh, like a $60 Santoku that I enjoy using. Like, I think it feels good in my hand. It does have metal in the handle. Cool. But what the hell do I know? You know, (laughs) I've never taken a knife skills class. I don't know these things. Like, life could be way better and I would have no no way of knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the next phase of your life is like a knife skills course. They do offer them. Yeah. Yeah. Take a knife skills course. Bring your two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the those like parent-child classes where you do the same thing together, but it's like knife skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a win. Sounds like a, a great idea. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. My topic is Canadian floating feet explained. Are, are you too familiar with the phenomenon of Canadian floating feet? Never heard of it. I am. Yeah? I am. Some of them come down here because I'm on the coast as well. And so a few have shown up stateside. So you can correct me where I where I messed this up. It's just been a thing in the past 20 years, maybe, that feet in sneakers, like disarticulated feet have been washing ashore. <laughs> Wait, like like human feet? Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Why? The theory that I've heard, which I believe, which I, 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 I heard this after wondering about it for a very long time, because when I heard about this, I there was no explanation. But the explanation that has since put forth that I believe is that when somebody drowns, the fish eat the joints first, and so people get butchered effectively, and shoes are more buoyant than they were 30 years ago. So the shoes specifically float up and unwash ashore. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I am not personally kidding you. Wait, how many feet have been washing up and like how many people are drowning and getting eaten by fish? This is horrifying. <laughs> like a lot. They could be drowning anywhere in the world and washed up on the shores of Canada. Why Canada? Why pick on Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Ocean current, blah, 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 for the Pacific. Yeah, but- <laughs> All right, I'm looking at this article here in mean, the Daily Mail, which is from 2012, which is the most reliable news source that I know. Yeah, of course. Uh, that says, at least 12 human feet have washed up on the Pacific coast of Canada. This is awful. So I used to work in Hatteras National Seashore. Um, so it's on the East Coast, and it's like a tiny spit of land that sticks out into the ocean and it like the Labrador current comes down from the north and hits it and the Gulf current comes up from the south and hits it. So it's like a point that's shaped by both of those currents. And if anything washes up, that's where it washes up to. So that's where like all of the pirates went and they would like kind of hide their ships behind there and they would wait for ships to wreck and then they would collect all of the stuff that basically washed up there. So if there's a whale carcass, it washes up there. If anything like comes out of the sea, it washes up there. We never had feet showing up. <laughs> never. <laughs> never a single foot. 
Googling this, I have found a Wikipedia article called Salish Sea Human Foot Discoveries. Yeah. And this is apparently just in the Salish Sea in British Columbia. So the Salish Sea is sort of an overlapping term for like also the Puget Sound down to Seattle. And they don't tend to come all the way like into there, but they do. Yeah, they're like along the north bit here. Oh, yeah. It's also in it's also in Washington. I have heard the explanation that you described of the shoe buoyancy thing. But like, yeah, I think what I heard it on is uh, an excellent program that I would like to plug, which is the Canadian radio show as it happens, (laughs) because it's very charming. And it's like really good interviews and like really good reporting, but like very terrible puns in between things. (laughs) And it's like this sort of awkward sense of like, they'll report on international incidents. And then they'll like really show like the Canadian connection. This Canadian man was near this earthquake in Venezuela. (laughs) Let's talk to him. He's like, Oh, yeah, I was here by this earthquake. What was it like? (laughs) I heard about this foot thing on that. I believe they are the first source of that explanation. And it was very tentative because it was they called up a mortician who uh, like specialized in like crime scene and like natural decay investigation. Mm -hmm. And that was his like kind of best guess as to what was occurring. Yeah. And it's like. I agree with Erica that it's weird that it only happens on that coast and like no other collection point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to move there, but like now I'm going to list that in my cons column for that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cons. Loose feet. According to this article, at least 20 detached human feet have been found on the coast of the Salish Sea, but also uh, one apparent human foot was discovered to be a skeletonized animal paw, which was placed in a sock and shoe. And stuffed with dried seaweed. Huh. Wow. There's some weirdos up there. I have to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) The Salish Sea is like the Florida of Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to argue, but then I was thinking about uh, friends who live in like the North Salish Sea. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have a, I have a former roommate who he's been old since very young. (laughs) Like Wilford Brimley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like when we lived together in college, he was like, oh, you know, I wish I had the energy of you guys. Uh, <laughs> man. And he would report it to age and he is uh, six months older than me. <laughs> right. It's been a long six months. Yeah. <laughs> he is now a water quality investigator for a county. It's so good because I'll talk to him. And I'll be like, hey, Matt, like, how's it going? And he goes, this case, it's getting to me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what's happening? And he's like, someone lied about the quality of the water. Seems like someone's dumping sewage here. <laughs> Shit up to my knees. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. This is a write-in. Brad asks, listening to spoilery discussion of a piece of media because you think you don't care about it, then being convinced by said discussion that you actually would have liked it. The first thing that I think about when I when I heard this this comment is like, you know, like, oh, now, now I know the spoilers for this thing that I would have been interested in otherwise. But like, for me, actually, this is um, a real joy for me because I don't actually want to interact with the original thing. I read a lot of the Game of Thrones book and then I started watching the show 
and it became like too too violent and too sexually upsetting for me to continue watching. But I watched all kinds of critical reviews of it so that I didn't have to watch the thing itself. And I feel like, you know, I kept up with culture just by listening to the spoilers. So I really kind of seek that stuff out. (laughs) Right. I have a lot of episodes of particular podcasts that discuss media that I haven't listened to because they're like, all right, this is our spoiler dive on this thing. And I will never play or watch that thing but i have like invested where i'm like but what if what if i get to that someday (laughs) it's one of the many reasons i wish there was a convenient drug that had few side effects that would just give you like memory loss for a set amount of time without like cognitive impairment surgically precise yeah i want to be able to like set like the exact number of minutes and seconds to lose on this pill yeah yeah you like turn the pill and it's a little like a kitchen timer and then you, right. yeah, then you saw yeah. it. I've been watching Shakespeare and I've been um, kind of tweeting about Shakespeare. And these plays are hundreds of years old. I don't think there's a way to discuss them without spoilers, but like, they're hundreds of years old. Like, when can you spoil things? Like, is there ever a moment where you're allowed to spoil something? Or is it off limits forever? Just write in Rot 13. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I lost several fo- followers uh, for my... Shakespeare posts. Because <laughs> you were spoiling Shakespeare and they're like, I have to, I've got to stop reading this. <laughs> <laughs> the goal is to Twitter zero, you know, like inbox zero. Oh, yeah. Twitter zero is like, get down to zero followers. <laughs> <laughs> Go down your follower list and block everybody. No, no, you got to do it naturally. You got to. You have to piss them off enough. <laughs> Yeah, the problem with that idea, well, or maybe this is just a challenge. Uh-huh. I know for a fact that a lot of people who follow me just don't log on anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, like, it would be very difficult to convince them to unfollow me. Uh-huh. You'd have to track them down. Yeah, in real life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just be, like, subtly shitty to them and then be like, by the way, you follow me. <laughs> yeah, it has to be bad enough that they would unfollow me, but not bad enough that they'll, like, call the police. <laughs> yeah. You have to kind of like stalk them and figure out what their particular like phobias are or like I think like a, an effective strategy would be to like post things that everybody has phobias about like um, images of things with holes in them and then disgusting things and like spiders and you keep going until you've covered all of the major phobias and then you right. then you start targeting the rest of them. So you'd probably have to do this with like a new account. Like, oh, hey, everybody, I got locked out of my old account. Follow me at this new account. So then you have like a fresh batch of people who you know log on. And then you're getting to Twitter zero that way. You have to go through Twitter one to get to Twitter zero. <laughs> because otherwise you just start an account and then you've won. Yeah. It doesn't, you haven't, you haven't accomplished anything. <laughs> but the trouble is, if you leave your account on, it's possible that someone in the future will follow you. Yeah, you gotta set your account to private as after that. Yeah. I think that's cheating. I think you have to, like, really, really lock down it in a way that no one will want to follow you, ever. <laughs> yeah, just have a really, really off-putting profile photo. Yeah. The default profile photo is no longer an egg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But if you uploaded an egg specifically then people would know you really mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it's like, you know how if you play an echo back at someone, it's really hard to talk? Maybe if you just, (laughs) if you had a script where it's just like, whoever's viewing your page, 
it takes their profile picture yeah and you shift it over by like two pixels <laughs> that's oh that's good if somebody leaves a comment you have a bot that writes the same comment below their comment yeah <laughs> and then changes your profile photo to them yeah and your username to them yeah someone please create uncomfortable echo bot <laughs> But it can't get too popular because then it'll change it to the next message's profile photo and username before the first person notices. Well, that's why you got to post all the major phobias first, get rid of the, the people who are easy to offend. And then, right, right. And then move on to the, the harder nuts to crack. <laughs> right. I was thinking that with your with your solution of like the major phobias, you'll get the people who are like really into phobias, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you have to post like the opposite and it's just like things that everyone likes. A really smooth thing. Yeah. Thing that's not a spider that's very much unlike a spider, which is probably- It has no legs. Like a snake. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everybody loves snakes. Everybody loves snakes. I'm for it. I think we should do it. Sounds good. Spoilery chat, Twitter zero. (laughs) (laughs) The real thing I think about spoilery chat is like, if there is a thing that's sufficiently intriguing- I feel like I have trained myself to have this very hair trigger, like, stop and just do that thing. If it's sufficiently intriguing, this doesn't work for an actual human talking to you as well. But like, if you're listening to something or watching like a trailer, trailers always have like way too much of the movie in them. And so I always stop trailers about a minute in Mm -hmm. if I have any interest in watching the movie by that point. And then if it keeps going, then I just will enjoy the trailer. But as soon as I get to the point where I'm intrigued by the movie, then I stop the trailer. I do that with podcasts sometimes, too, if they're like discussing spoilers of a of a thing and it's like sounds pretty good. As soon as it sounds pretty good, I'm like, all right, I'll go do that. But I actually have no time, so I never actually do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have time these days? Is time still a thing? I don't think so. Totally unknown. If you have time, write in. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'll forward your message to Max and not read it myself because it'd be too depressing. Yeah, and I'll not read it because I won't have time <laughs> either. Yeah. Are you ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Max, your topic is Do you know offhand of the tallest person you've met and other things I wish we tracked culturally? Yeah. Sometimes people meet someone who's so exceptionally tall that it's like categorized and it's like, ah, yes, like that is the tallest person that I have met. Right. But most of the time we don't. And. I really like in stories and things where there's like an arbitrary cultural value. It's like, oh, yes, like we just track this very specific thing. My friend and I, a long time ago, we were trying to make like a constructed language and did like, we had the greeting for it that was like, hello, here's my name. And whether you've eaten eggplant is just part of the default greeting. (laughs) (laughs) It's like ASL. Yeah. (laughs) i actually wrote to somebody to try and figure out the tallest person that i met um because i went to a friend's wedding in 2011 uh we all drove to this bar and there was larry bird who i recognized (gasps) and i don't know basketball very well but like a reunion of the Sixers? Is that a team? Or the 76ers? I was trying to sort of like look online and a couple of the people from that team have passed away since like 2015. So it's quite possible that I met one of these like extraordinarily tall members of like some famous 
basketball team, but definitely Larry Bird was there. So if I had to say offhand, do I know? No, but Larry Bird is the tallest identifiable person I've been near. And like, it was very strange to wander into this bar because when professional basketball players wear suits, they are like curtains. Um, like it's it's like floor to ceiling plaid or tweed or like whatever it is that they're wearing just yards and yards and yards of cloth going like straight up and then like their head perched on top it's so weird (laughs) yeah I've had that experience and then I had like another weird experience where like I went to Lithuania with my grandmother after college and we got off the plane and we were surrounded by just these enormously tall people and I said to my grandmother, like, are all Lithuanians this tall? And she said, this is the Lithuanian national basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent this email, but I didn't send it in time to actually get an answer because my friend um, Tristan, like, definitely knows the answer to, like, who was in that room. But oh, um, man. I don't I don't recognize basketball players. So Yeah, I, I've got a similar answer, which is that I, I didn't meet this guy, but, like, I left the bathroom as he was going in. Todd McCulloch, I don't know how to pronounce his name, played for the 76ers until he had uh, like a neurological problem with his feet or something like that, like nerve damage, mm-hmm. and had to retire and started playing pinball professionally. <laughs> and so he was at California Extreme, which is wow. a <laughs> yeah arcade slash pinball expo. Wow. Did he have to really hunch down to use the pinball? There's a photo of him on his Wikipedia page playing ACDC, which is a pinball table apparently. And yeah, he's he's kind of he's hunched over for sure. Wow. <laughs> he also had to hunch down to get in the, the bathroom door. Yeah, he's uh, seven feet, which I've seen data on this recently. The CDC estimates that there are about 70 people who are between the ages of 20 and 40 who are seven feet or taller. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which means that if you're seven feet or taller, there's a 17% chance that you play in the NBA. Yeah, they have like um, scouts out for like genetic anomalies out there looking for this. Yeah. <laughs> Usually tall yeah. people. <laughs> in terms of like my, my life, I think I know a guy who's like six seven, but that's not even that tall. Right. I have met someone who is, I, I just looked up their height because I, I went to Harlem Globetrotters basketball camp as a kid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's adorable. <laughs> yeah, it was like a week-long summer camp, and we learned how to spin a ball on our finger. And there was various Harlem Globetrotters players who were actually there and, like, teaching the camp, which was fun. One of them I remembered because his name is Shark, and I just looked it up, and he is seven foot. Max, you don't have time now because you spent a whole week learning how to spin a basketball on your finger. If you had saved that week, you'd have more than enough time to do whatever you would want to do now. <sighs> You're totally right. <laughs> but now I can always be spinning a basketball. Too. It's also all that time you spend eating avocado toast. <laughs> As a novelty, Shark would hold a ball above his head and he would just be like, all right, now grab the ball. <laughs> and we were kids and we were like, we can't. And he'd be like, <laughs> and then the adults would be in the same situation. Because no one could grab this ball that was literally like nine to ten feet in the air or something. Wow. That sounds like fun. Sounds like the life of the party. Yeah. Should we do the next topic? Yeah. 
Alex. Erica, your topic is Egg the Arts Show. Okay, so I might come back to this even in a future episode, but um, I loved a show called Egg the Arts Show, which aired on PBS um, in the early 2000s. And it was a show that went and met several different artists along a theme in each show, like maybe three or four artists. And most of the artists were like outsider artists, self-trained, not really part of any kind of art establishment at all. I love the show so much that I almost have like false memories of it. Like I remember watching it in high school, which wouldn't have been possible because it came out in the 2000s. And like there were particular artists who they met who have kind of influenced my entire career as like a creative person and a thinker. I can't track it down, but um, there was an Asian artist who was this incredible pen and ink artist who I think either he decided or his teacher told him to stop making things with his hands. And then he had this like brilliant life. Like he moved to Detroit and wanted to make neighborhoods more friendly. So he he lifted up a house and every day, twice a day, the house would split in half and open and show you like what the family life going on inside the house was to make it seem like more accessible and more friendly and then close back up. And he did these like kind of environmental projects where he planted cabbages outside of like smokestacks and cabbages are really good at like accumulating heavy metals. So after the smokestack would shut down, he would plant these cabbages and then harvest the cabbages and then bring them back to the smelting thing burn them and it would create like a brick of the heavy metals that he had been able to take back out of the soils. But like the way that his thinking expanded after kind of stopping making visual art or stopping making things with his hands really inspired me to think of art not just as the quality of things that you make um, in drawing or how well you can represent them. Um, so this, this show had like an enormous influence on me. And I've been looking for it forever. I decided to try to Google it again recently. I found that a couple of episodes have been posted. They're not on YouTube or anything. A couple of episodes have been posted by the producer of the show, whose name is Jeff Folmsby, and he has them on a Vimeo channel. But they're not complete, and I have no idea why they aren't there. So it's an unusual name. So I googled him, couldn't find him, and then I looked for him on Twitter, and I tweeted at him like, hey, did you produce Egg the Art Show? And he said I did. And after like a number of emails, like we've decided to try to like get together and archive this show permanently. Wow. So yeah, so we've like involved digital media librarians, and they are trying to reach out to the kind of lawyer librarians who the issue is that you could put something in a library under fair use, but that does not necessarily mean that you can distribute it. But my job is ending soon, like my my academic job is ending soon. And I am trying to make things not with my hands. And so this is my next project is to archive egg the arc show. Um, so wow. I'll check back in and let you know how that's going. That sounds incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that goes. Yeah, me too. If it happens in the next six weeks, send me a link and I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, okay. No, it's it's going to take longer than, than that. And also we're moving to Texas in the next six weeks. <laughs> send me a link to that. Send us a link to Texas. 
it's full of these like inspiring things. And I think it would be incredible to be able to get this back to people who need that kind of view into other people's artistic processes and stuff. So I'm very excited about like working on this as my next thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. That sounds really, really great. Yeah. Maybe we can resurrect it and we can do like an egg the art show of like topic lords. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could watch an episode at one quarter speed. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, and that's all the time we have for topic lords. Max, if this isn't something that you want, where could people find you on the internet? Find me on Twitter at Mechem, M-E-C-H-C-E-M. I have some weird art games on itch.io at mechem.itch.io. And you can email me. You know what? You can tell you what, listener. You can call me. Go ahead and call me. (laughs) No, no, Uh, don't do it. Don't do it. Whoa. (laughs) No, don't do it. Jim, drop this out of the show. (laughs) (laughs) We don't dox people on this show. (laughs) Does it count when you're doxing yourself? Um, Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what you're getting into, you can't can't be party to this. (laughs) All right, all right. I'll I'll deal with this. (laughs) Erica, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Yerick, TRB on Twitter, where I spend too much time. All right, me too. <laughs> I mean, not on not on your account specifically. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. I was I was about to be flattered. <laughs> oh, Jim, I have a traditional last minute idea to pitch to you. Oh, tell me. Which is a Twitter account that, as a part of being a Patreon for this podcast, you get the login info for this Twitter. <laughs> Oh, All topic wow. lords can post to one Twitter. <laughs> I like that a lot. I really like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe somebody can make the Echo Bot that we talked about, and um, the topic lords can um, try to get the other topic lords not to follow this account with the Echo Bot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to wonder how Twitter is going to feel about like an account that people from all around the world log into (laughs) that might show up on some security consoles we can try it yeah i'm certainly not attaching this account to my phone number yeah thanks so much for being on yeah thank you yes see you next time hi this is jim this is the audio i append to every episode of topic lords congratulations to our newly anointed lords this episode was edited by esper quinn who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!